Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wabo's most tattooed work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to uh, discuss subordination uh, uh, 12, is it? Is that mm-hmm. right? It doesn't feel right. Anyway, um, let's get into it. The chapter starts with Blake and us, the audience, being very confused about what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm so mad about this because I think you, you gave me every hint possible that, that <laughs> this wasn't going to be a thing and I just completely missed all of them. Mm. Um, I was like, I actually went to read this like at work while I was waiting for some code uh, to compile and so I'm sort of sitting there and I'm sort of absent-mindedly keeping one eye on, on another window and like, when this, I went to the table of contents, scrolled down to 6.11, clicked on it. And it just took, takes you back to the table of contents. <laughs> and I went through that like four times before I was like, wait, hold on. What's going on here? <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah, it took me a few minutes to to figure it out. It was, uh, yep. <laughs> it's such a good prank. Yeah, it was, it was good fun. Uh, but I got to say, you know, scheduling a podcast where the episodes release on the five year anniversary of the original chapters and not spoil- <laughs> spoiling this for you was a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> but it seemed to work. Yeah, well, I mean, lucky lucky for us, our, our website was failing, so it just meant, like, <laughs> the time I'd allocated to do 6.11 work, I could spend fixing our website, which, knock on wood, has been up for 24 yes. hours, and if you're listening to this, hopefully the days of our website not working are behind us, you know, for now. Yep, and uh, if you're getting website errors and you can't hear this episode, well, then it doesn't matter, so we can go it anyway. <laughs> um but yeah, putting all that stuff aside, I, this is such a great, um, it's such a great little trick that, that is like a meta textual trick that is played here, right? Um, because obviously, you know, uh, uh, for example, back when Blake was in the police station, obviously he, he was kind of confused by what was going on to start with, but we didn't, you know, feel that to the same extent that Blake did. But this trick is such a great, simple way to to put us in the same mindset of like, Wait, what's what's happening? What's going on? And it just starts you off from a confused angle. It's a great way to lead into this exact same feeling um, that Blake has. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's fantastic, and because it's not like it's not just a dumb prank on us. Like, obviously, it is that too. Like, Wild Boat is having <laughs> is having fun with us, uh, yeah. which is hilarious. But it's not just that. Like, like yeah, as you said, this is what it would be like to fight the Bahames. This is the sort of shit they're going to pull on you. And, like, (laughs) it makes sense that it would happen to us uh, as well. Like, we we are sort of viewing this whole story from Blake's perspective. And if Blake is missing perspective, then we we should too. And I think, you know, that helps us sort of stay with Blake. You know, we've already seen, like, the story has been given to us, uh, you know, with the erasure demon we were missing. Yeah. the the edits there and, and and you know so i think it's it's consistent but it just yeah it makes sense uh from a narrative perspective like it, it works on every level which is great yeah and more than that even though like you know it's it's feasible that this chapter could have just been called 6.11 and we start with some skip time and and, mm. and you know we we kind of have to we're in Blake's shoes to an extent we're we're ch- catching up but the fact that there's this like meta textual trick played on us as well <laughs> just kind of it really adds to it i really love it yeah i, I agree it's that extra decoration that that takes it from like good to great yeah um so uh, yeah blake's blake's basically really confused uh it seems like everybody's out of place 
uh, Rose, Maggie, and Fell are all kind of nowhere to be seen. Um, Blake is basically all alone, except for Evan, who comes in for a bit and then gets uh, sent off quickly on a, <laughs> a quick scouting mish. Um, yeah, it, it's funny, because, like, as I was sort of reading this, trying to figure out what was happening, and as I'm getting my head around it, uh, uh, sort of as Blake is, <laughs> I was never really that worried for him, because I was like, if you had to pick a practitioner that this would disrupt the least... Like, Blake's got to be right up there. Mm, yeah, um, for sure. Because, I mean, he's just kind of working out of his ass all the time. Like, this is this is kind of just status quo for him. So, it kind of sucks <laughs> for the Bahames that they've done this to the, to the person that probably, like, you know, it kind of relies on Blake having a plan or, an, or something, yeah. which he doesn't anyway. So, yeah, it, it, it kind of <laughs> sucks for them. It kind of reminds me of that scene from the old Yu-Gi-Oh anime where Yugi's up against a Pegasus who can read his mind. And so Yugi's counter to that is to just play cards off the top of his deck without <laughs> knowing what they are, which is, like, so perfectly stupid. Um, and it's the same way that Blake's, <laughs> Blake's just the natural counter to this because he doesn't plan things out in advance. Yeah, Blake's been playing the whole tournament by just playing whatever card was on the top of his deck yeah. without knowing what it was. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, it, it's it's great because it is, you know, it is kind of his element and so he's not as caught off guard by it, but he is caught off guard and the, and yeah. the young behames that he's up against are so smarmy about it and so, like, <laughs> so shitty, they're so behame, it's great. Yeah, like, I find myself, as I'm going through this chapter, flickering between that, they're just kids mentality and also, like, oh man, fuck these guys. Um I really like Craig, though, because, like, he's got those sticky notes, which I assume are maybe his implement, and that's just such a hilarious <laughs> yeah. implement to me that I can't help but love him. I didn't make that- I didn't have that thought until you wrote it down, because it's just so ridiculous. I it can't- <laughs> it can't be his implement. <laughs> that would just be too weird, and it would mean his implement would expire. I think it's just- I think it's just a piece of flair. I, I don't know. Unless it's, like- you know, a never-ending stack of, of post-it notes. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's a good. One. I hadn't thought about the, the the pad running out. Maybe it's charmed to be uh, like unlimited or something. But I like the idea of like something. Like, like to me, it symbolizes this like temporary like move on thing. Like you know, it's like I'll do mm. this and then I'll do that, which it's like very adaptable. Which um, like you know, it kind of goes against the the whole chronomancy thing a bit now that I think about it. But yeah. uh, like um. Anyway, yeah, I just, I like, I love this moment. We're talking about the, all the mm. young Bahames where Owen is, when Blake's trying stuff in a bit and, and Owen just sort of says to him, like, you're just, like, guessing, aren't you? <laughs> like, I just immediately read it with this really smug, condescending tone, like, you're an idiot. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's right. He's, he is just guessing. That's just, that's Blake's whole MO. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's right. But um, the way he says it. I, I also just really wanted, while we're, while we're on the topic of the Bahames and how mm. smug they are, uh, we had a comment in the, the 6.10 uh, Reddit thread from Sohibum7, uh, who points out that, like, the, the way the Bahames' power works uh, really fits. Like, it, it's this whole sort of trust fund magic. Like, they have this big well of power. And it's passed from generation to generation, like, you know, stays within the family. And it's, like, such a great metaphor for, like, them being, like, trust fund kids. Like, it's it's literally trust fund magic um, that, that is sort of hoarded by the family. And I just, I, I thought that fit so well with the Bahamas sort of smug attitude and everything. I, I really like that, um, that idea. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty perfect, um, 
not an analogy, but like a connection, right? Um, yeah, connection's that- <laughs> a good word for it. It, it just you know, it fits into everything else that we know about the Bahames and Coronomancy and, and all that so well that like I just have to yeah. believe that it was, you know, somewhat intentional. Yeah, and it I think it, it suits the kind of undercurrent of um of like privilege and a bit of classism that defines yeah. the Baham slash Thorburn relationship. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's perfect. Um so the Bahames, uh specifically Ainsley Baham, uh is is kind of doing this little bit of a ritual on Blake that is basically paralyzing him and binding him over time. And so as he's trying to escape his legs are just slowly shutting down and and getting less and less responsive. Yeah, and it's sort of with each hour, um, which is like the term she's using is she's sticking needles in this candle. Um, mm. it's like getting stronger and stronger, and there's that like old Bahame magic feeling where it's like this slow and inevitable march of, uh, yeah, like, you know, they don't just suddenly bind him. It, it's like time's woven in, and so there's this sense of like it's getting worse, it's getting worse, which which I really like. Yeah, repetition as well is a big theme for the Bahames. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like the use of the Fibonacci numbers. Like, she, she goes up in, in Fibonacci uh, as she's counting the hours, which was just a nice little n- nerdy detail. I was sort of like, oh, <laughs> neat. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. It's it's a cool little detail. Um, And I, I quite like this. So, we've had a few of these little kind of ticking clocks in Pact so far that have just been... Blake's body being slowly fucked up over time. Uh, mm. So, you know, we had the heart attack ghost a few chapters ago. We had Mr. Legs in the hyena fight. I really like the body horror of Blake's body just kind of slowly shutting down and becoming weak and, and shit over time. And that being the impending doom. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know. This, this is something that's starting to wear on me a little bit. Like how much Blake is constantly getting absolutely smashed like you know it feels like <laughs> he he reaches breaking point every other chapter I, like I, I don't know maybe maybe i'm just not tracky but it feels like we always get so many details on how like you know evan getting hit sort of makes him feel like he's being hit by a car and and you know mm. he got he got so scratched up fighting pose and, and stuff and then i don't feel like we ever really get as much on like it, it just sounds like he's a bit better but still pretty fucked and i i'm mm. I know, I guess this is one of my, my few complaints about Pac so far, is it just does feel like Blake has, like, gone beyond the breaking point so many times that I don't really understand, like, where he's at anymore. Like, <laughs> like it's sure. just, it feels like he's so beyond broken that I don't really understand how he's still operating. And it, it, I, I don't know, like, I'm just not as impacted as much when it's like Blake had the wind knocked out of him or, or something, like, when Evan gets hit, because I'm like, well, he's, you know... He's had that, like, he's about 20, <laughs> 20 cars in by this point. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. I, I think that's fair, but uh, to me, I always kind of read it as, you know, for example, this binding or the heart attack are these kind of, like, magical attacks that aren't really, I don't know, like, aren't some things are fucking up his body, but some things are just kind of making him feel like his body's fucked up. And once he's out of the imminent threat of that thing, whatever it is... He, he can bounce back to his usual damaged, broken self, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, maybe. I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just something I've just been like, uh, like you know, when's he gonna? Mm. I, I don't have a clear sense of how much better he's getting, and I guess Blake doesn't either. Mm. Like Blake's made a point of noting that he's like, I think I'm better, but I'm still kind of fucked. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like, that, that is sort of, I guess, the headspace we're maybe meant to be in. But uh, yeah, anyway. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, so Ainsley is kind of slowly binding Blake, and, and as this is happening, he basically just keeps tr- trying shit. Like, <laughs> he just throws everything out there in a desperate attempt to try things. Yeah, like, I loved it. It's just this sequence of Blake being like, I I'll try this. How about this? Yeah, I, I want to read one out, which I really like, um, where, uh, where Blake says, I reject your binding, I spat the words, because I have sources telling me I won't fucking make it to old age. Your third point doesn't stick. Doesn't matter, sunglasses said. Ansley nodded, grave. Fuck, I muttered. <laughs> um, which, <laughs> this is just a great example of Blake trying a random thing, trying to, like, bullshit his way through this, and it just, usually it does kind of work for him. This time it just <laughs> does not work. It, it, yeah, but no, like, he's right, he's just trying to call out, their bullshit by spouting his own bullshit and yeah it doesn't work i, I think my favorite is when in as ainsley's like counting up the hours he just starts like counting to distract her like it's so <laughs> petty uh, uh, it's yeah. hilarious it's such it's a great awesome. it, well, it is a good idea but it just the yeah, way it's it works done. as well which <laughs> yeah. is hilarious like it's the most childish and stupid yes. technique but it totally works where nothing else did um, he's been hanging out with evan too much yeah. Uh, so, you know, Blake's throwing out all his childish tricks uh, to stop himself from being bound, and he almost works, uh, but he's kind of saved by the arrival of, of these goblins that I, I guess have been let loose by Maggie in the uh, the missed, the missing chapter. Yeah, or, or they say that she trapped, yeah, she tripped a snare, uh, and that's not long before they mm. show up, so she may have just, like, let them loose after tripping on the mm. snare, but... Um, I mean, we don't know it's her that tripped the snare at first, and like it becomes apparent later. But like, I I can't I can't like this because I actually instantly sort of assumed it's Maggie because like a normal <laughs> practitioner like fell or someone would just they'd be quite cautious and you'd expect them to pick it. Whereas you know we already yep. know Maggie is presumably like a bit careless and and you know like, yeah like, I can, I can just totally see her being someone who's just sort of walking down the corridor. Doesn't notice the trap, falls in it, and then she's just like crumbs and and has to deal with it from there, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely in character for her to just kind of bluster her way into a snare by mistake. Yeah, um, and and you know uh, that's that's what I love about these stories. Like Pact is, you know, I assumed it was Maggie trapped in the snare just because of the characterization, and and it turns out it mm-hmm. was like it, it it's also <laughs> consistent. I love it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so. These goblins come in, and the Bahame kids are all kind of freaking out at this, right? <laughs> Which is weird. I mean, they're young, but it does give me this vibe of us having become kind of desensitized to how fucked up some of this stuff is. Like, we get a description of one of these goblins, and his, like, genitals are all mangled up with wire <laughs> among them and stuff, and I'm just reading over it like, yep, sure, whatever, goblins. Yeah, he's a gremlin. Where's the- checks out. <laughs> yeah. But the Bahame teens are, I think, reacting appropriately to this. Yeah, I, I think I, I do like how the story keeps sort of reminding us that Blake's experience of this world is not the normal one because I think it would be easy to forget. Um, yeah. And seeing stuff like the Bahames just freak out at like gremlins, which are so not like what Blake would be freaking out that much that that much over anymore. I, I especially love this bit where uh, Tandy, one of the one of the uh, Bahames is out there. It's like, uh, as soon as they appear, she's like, no, please no. No more horror movie <laughs> stuff. Please, yeah. no. And it's just like, because for us, the Gremlins, it's just like, you know, that's that's nothing, Tandy. Like, you know. Yeah, we've uh, seen much worse. <laughs> like, between, between Mary and stuff, this is like a huge, traumatic, scary thing for them. Whereas for Blake, this is like, 
him with one hand tied behind his back because he won't use his real horror movie stuff. Yeah, I think the other thing that's important here is we don't know how much messed up stuff we missed in uh, 611, right? Um, the, these Baham kids could have genuinely been terrified by some of the quite freaky shit that we know the Thorburn Cabal has access to. Well, yeah, like, we know the Tallow Man's out by the end of the chapter, so, like, he may have been up yep. to creepy shit. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, um, uh, all that's really mentioned is just Mary in the bathroom. Like, I think, uh, mm. I think it's Ainsley who's, like, you know, just based on what I saw in the bathroom, that's enough to, you know, make me yep. think you're terrible and blah, blah, blah. I kind of get that. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I think that's very fair. Uh, but you're right, like, there may be even more shit that happened to some of them that w- we have no idea about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, the goblins, I mean, I guess gremlins, are causing, you know, mayhem and, and fucking with shit, until one of them, Screwloose, kind of starts towards Blake. Yeah, which is like, because he doesn't just randomly pick Blake, it's like, Blake is trying to protect the Bahames, and he's like, hey, mm. go back to Maggie, and, and whatever, and it turns out Screwloose doesn't have to listen to him at all, <laughs> so he just turns on Blake, which is, I mean... That's so Blake that he's, like, trying to help his enemy and it turns out that he just makes another enemy. Like, yeah. story of his life. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a fun moment because Blake's kind of, like, he feels the tide turning a bit and then he kind of fucks it up <laughs> uh, by yeah. being too nice. Uh, yeah, which is, you know, it is very Blake, um, but it doesn't... It doesn't endear him to these uh, to the Bahames. There's a bit later where you know Screwloose is advancing towards Blake, and his his legs are frozen in place, so he can't get away. And he, I'm just going to read the quote. Actually, I glanced at Ainsley. She still held the candle. She looked down at the candle, then back at me. She shook her head. And this is such mm. great little like visual storytelling <laughs> yeah. to say, "Hey, Blake, you know, don't help these people too much because they're not on your side." It, yeah, and and I mean, you know, there's a bit later. I guess I'm jumping ahead a little, but he he offers to like help save Owen. I think it is like as he's being crushed by a car, and yeah, and he almost gets through to Ainsley. Like you, you know, she's sort of thinking, oh, you did, because he does bind himself uh, in the end to save her, and she's sort of starting to have her doubts. And then he's like, you know, if you don't help me, then like I'm better than you. And that's really this bit where it sort of clicks, and she's like. No, you can't possibly be better than me. You're a diabolist and you're evil and, yeah. and you know, all that Baham Kool-Aid, uh, as, as yeah. Blake refers to it as, um, kicks in and it's just like, oh, like Blake keeps getting so close to, to getting there and then he just, he says something that is just the wrong thing and it ends up all completely backfiring. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think Blake fighting against the tide of, like, Baham kool-aid i guess is has been such an interesting theme in this because he's he's been so i mean i guess it's not just the behames he's he's been constantly trying to prove himself to random people right and it, yeah it's such a fun thread to watch him always go, he always goes out of his way to try and be nice and it always doesn't work <laughs> and then <laughs> these people just keep thinking oh this is just some shitty diabolist thorburn whatever don't have to worry about him one of these days, Blake, you'll make a friend. Yeah. Oh, but it's just because he's, he's so close to getting through to her. And then, like, he just mentions, yeah. like, himself potentially being good almost explicitly. And that's that's yeah. enough to sort of trip the <laughs> that's wire. That's enough. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Anyway. Um, one of these days he'll get through, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so, 
Skrulos keeps advancing on Blake uh, and is kind of shooting him with this uh, makeshift shotgun thing. But uh, Blake kind of manages to get his hands on some of the Bahamian's protective chains and he, he uses it to start sc- strangling <laughs> Skrulos. Yeah, but Skrulos fucking loves it. Um, yeah. And I mean, like, crude humor, at least for me, is pretty hit or miss. Like, uh, all this gremlin humor going on here is is very, like, uh, you know, just like grossness kind of humor. And, and I find, yeah. I, I, I usually find that very hit or miss, but it's very hit for me, in, in particularly yeah. in this chapter, but throughout most of this story. Like, the, the gremlins are gross in really unique and, like, fitting ways that just makes the humor really work for me. I think it does come down to consistency, honestly. I mean, like, Obviously, this book is pretty serious a lot of the time, but mm. whenever we get these gremlins, we know that- oh, goblins, gremlins, we know what they're going to be like. We know that they're going to be like this. And you kind of- I think crude humour often fails when it just kind of is is thrown in as a type of humour, among other things. But with these gremlins and goblins, you, you always know, oh, this is what this is going to be, and it's going to be fucking bizarre and weird and and- you always kind of enjoy it as a result. Well, and it fits into the other stuff they're doing, right? Like, they're, they're being, like, crazy menaces who are, like, fucked up. So, yeah, like, you know, they're, they're fucked up sort of physically and, and, and in yeah. what they do. Why like, wouldn't it, they do this? It, it's, not, it's not just this unnecessary tacked-on trait. Uh, it, yeah. it's, it's part of their whole being, uh, and that's, that's part of why it works, yeah. Yeah. I, I like how they're so weird they're so bizarre they're so fun but they actually are also genuinely quite a credible threat which is an interesting <laughs> balance that is maintained because they yeah goblins consistently are probably among the most like useful others that we've seen more than one of right like they're always doing useful <laughs> things to mess with people they're always kind of helping if you put them in the space where oh they just fuck shit up um it, it's very interesting that balance is really struck quite well yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. They do seem to be kind of consistently underestimated, and it's hard to tell if it's because mm. these are novice practitioners because lead seems to scare them off quite handily. But, like, I, I don't know. I think symbolically, if they are something that's consistently underestimated, that will probably carry through to Maggie, uh, which which is interesting because, I mean, I think it's fair yeah. to say that most of the people in Jacob's Bell uh, underestimate her capabilities, uh, particularly yeah, lead. Yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah. so, so that might be, that might be sort of something we're heading up to. And I mean, it's interesting, Blake is constantly overestimated, um, by a lot of people, <laughs> I, th- I think. So, m- you know, maybe, you know, demons aren't as much of a threat as everyone thinks. It's fine. Goblins are the bigger threat, apparently. <laughs> um, so eventually Blake manages to kind of get through to Screwloose and, and makes a deal with him. Basically, he can go and fuck with Laird. As long as he leaves these poor behame teens al- alone, and then he can just kind of fuck off and do whatever. Um, and Skrulus obliges and kind of runs off. Uh, and as Skrulus leaves, Evan returns, kind of reporting where where the rest of the cabal are, that they're dealing with their own shit. Um, and Blake tells him, hey, we need backup. Go get the hyena. Yeah, and I mean, basically, the result of this scouting oper- operation was everyone's pretty fucked, which is like, yeah. could, could this have been a bad plan? No, who would say <laughs> such a thing, Elliot? Um, yeah, no, it it was a bad plan, <laughs> but uh, you know, bad plans are where Blake excels, and this is no different, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. I, I want to touch on, you know, Blake sends Evan to get the hyena, which is important, right? He, he yeah, and he sticks to his promise that he almost made. He didn't quite make the promise, but he almost <laughs> made the promise to Evan about making sure he got Evan's permission, right? Um, 
you know, he's 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 pushy about this a little bit, but you know, no more than is necessary in this situation, I think. And he he gives Evan complete control over the hyena here, where Evan's fully in charge. I think he does pretty good. This is a pretty good example of Blake keeping his promises to everybody except Rose. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like how this is sort of introduced because Blake's like, we need more firepower, and Evan's just sort of like, should I get the imp? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, no, let's try no, Evan. Evan. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I like this solution of giving the hyena to Evan as a way to sort of balance the the emotions within the group that surround this thing. Yeah. Um, I also particularly love it because Evan's fucking hilarious with it. Like when he shows up with a hyena in a bit, he's like saying stuff to it like "Obey me, mutt," and and go <laughs> up. Like he just he's taking every opportunity he can to shit on the hyena, which which oh I love. yeah, as you would in that situation. Oh, for sure. It, yeah, it, it is a good solution. You know, it, it just is. It's a very clean way of Blake kind of keeping Evan on side, even though he has to use the hyena here. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think it's a really fair and and, and good strategy. Um. I also love this bit, after sort of Evan agrees, uh, Blake goes, will you forgive me, Evan? And Evan sort of says, yes, because your heart's in the right place, even if this is stupid. And I was just <laughs> like, oh, I remember back when Rose used to say stuff like that, you know, three hours <sighs> yeah. ago. Uh, I wonder how long Evan's going to last. How many times will it take, I wonder, before he, uh, <laughs> before he sours <laughs> to that idea? Um, so Evan goes off to get the hyena, and as he leaves, Laird arrives and kind of clearly is able to take control of this situation pretty definitively. Um, yeah. He, he kind of shuts down the gremlins pretty quickly and uh, reports, oh, okay, we've won, the Bahamas have taken control, and Conquest is on his way, and he kind of is holding uh, Blake at gunpoint. Um, and so it looks pretty grim for a bit here. Well, yeah, but of course, uh, you know, it, he's a Baham, so he gets a little bit too smug about it. Uh, <laughs> I, I have to call out this one line where... Uh, Blake's sort of arguing with Laird about, uh, Laird sort of admits that he's probably racking up some bad karma doing all this. And Blake says, oh, so you're borrowing against the future for the sake of the present. Uh, and Laird responds, I would say it's just the opposite, uh, mm. which like, took me, took me a couple of seconds to process when I first read it. And I was like, oh, that's, that's clever. Um, mm. and, and it's not just like a witty line, but it so well encapsulates the different mindsets that both of these characters are operating in. <laughs> I really like it. Yeah. I think we haven't talked about this that much, but Laird has always been pretty, like, quick with the words, right? Like, he's mm. pretty good at at the whole wordsmith part of being a practitioner. He always seems to have the right comebacks to Blake, um, assuming that the right comebacks, you know, are his perspective. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, no, like, I've always found his perspective, even though I disagree with it, because obviously I'm, I'm team Blake and I don't know how much that's biased by uh the perspective of the story but like Laird has always sort of come across as somewhat fair and consistent from his point of view mm. like um i i disagree with his point of view but from where he's coming you're always like well that's that's reasonable um yeah and i and that's what makes the behem so great right because Laird is so he's such a charismatic and interesting uh villain in air quotes i suppose but mm. um but the rest of the behems just follow his 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 thoughts without any of the kind of cleverness behind it and it leads yeah. to them being so like so smug and single-minded <laughs> and having none of Laird's like charisma it's great yeah you can definitely see why he rose to become like head of the family yeah yeah he, he yeah he's very fun um and he's so smug about this and he's so like he he almost he almost you get the sense that he 
he thinks Blake should kind of be thanking him for how he's treating him. <laughs> Laird, Laird's plan here is to trap Blake in the body of a 90-year-old to kind of make him, you know, impotent in this situation. And he, you really feel like he thinks Blake should be like, oh, thank you for not killing me, sir. Which, I mean, again, to be fair, is kind of a reasonable mm. spot to be in. Like, a lot of is people it? do want to kill Blake. Um, yeah. I, I think, the f- like, from his perspective, being one of the few people who doesn't want to kill Blake... He is in like the top ten percent of people Blake knows at the moment. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I don't know. I I can I can see why he thinks that. Yeah, I don't know. It just uh, yeah. I, but it I is also very can smug. see why he thinks that. But it's so <laughs> smug. Yeah. Um. So uh, at this point, uh, Evan and the hyena come back, but Laird is prepared for this. Uh, the parking lot has a fence that kind of is able to ward off the hyena. It seems. Um. At least until Screwloose pulls a very strange trick to give Laird an electric shock. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting. I thought the hyena was was more stopped by natural things. Like that was something we kind of established with all the holly hedges mm. uh, back in Arc Four, I think it was. But uh, I guess this is a particularly big metal fence, or that wasn't like a complete transition, so it still works on the hyena. But I was mm. a bit like, I was actually expecting the hyena to just leap the fence because of how different it was from from other goblins. That fence has actually been grown. It wasn't built. It was uh, <laughs> grown from a little baby fence seed. No, yeah, you're right. It, it, it is interesting. I mean, I guess the hyena is, is a goblin still, right? So Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it took me a few reads to actually figure out what Screwloose does here. He, he, he is peeing on Laird to kind mm-hmm. of, I don't know, to, to, he initially starts peeing on people to put out uh, some candles that are being used in these little rituals. And then he pees on Laird's jacket and then grabs this uh, this post-it note that was used to electrify the fence and electrifies himself, which then travels along his pee stream <laughs> and knocks out Laird. Like, it's the most bizarre thing <laughs> for a goblin to do, but it's so, like, perfect. Yeah, that was sort of my understanding of what went down, is Screwless was sort of peeing on them and then, like, electrocuted himself. Uh, and of course, his like piss stream was enhanced by all the weird shit he's done to his genitals, uh, mm. and and yeah, and so then he electrocuted himself, and it carried through the piss, uh, which is yeah, as you said, so it's just <sighs> bizarre and hilarious and creative. Yeah. I-, I love it. Yeah, so Screwloose saves the day with his electric m- m- <laughs> urine, and uh, Laird is knocked unconscious, and from this, Blake is able to kind of take control of this situation. Um, they reunite the cabal, or they kind of reunite the cabal, I suppose. Um, and the hyena carries off Laird's unconscious body in its mouth as their hostage. And, uh, yeah, they they su- pull a surprising upset in, in this air quotes plan. Well, Rose, Rose seems to think it's a bit early to call that. Uh, but but mm. Blake's pretty confident because he has some secret plan to do with knowing how the Bahames power works and I guess some way mm. to manipulate or, or stop that. Um, mm. Which I, I have no idea what he's thinking. I'm, I'm really interested to, to go ahead and find out. Like at this point, my best guess is they have a big candle out back or something. Cause there were candles <laughs> in, in this one. Yeah. I'm sure that's it. A giant candle. Uh, but you know, I'm excited to see. I, I think the thing that I've missed the most since we came to Toronto was the dynamic between Blake and Laird, and I'm excited to really get more into that. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm excited to see. I, I think the next chapter I saw is an interlude, so 
Mm. No idea who the, whose perspective that's going to be from, but uh, I can't wait to jump back into seven point one. I guess to see see what happens yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess I guess we will in a bit, but not today uh, because <laughs> that's the end of our discussion of six twelve. Um, before we leave, though, we wanted to touch on some of the answers that people left in response to our discussion question, uh, which was talking about historical events that were so weird that they must be. Examples of, you know, rationalized retconned practitioning being understood <laughs> by the by the uninitiated masses. Um, we got a lot of good responses to this. Yeah, we're running a bit overboard, so <laughs> we might have to skip some of the ones we pulled out, which sucks. But uh, yeah. uh, I wanted to put one by Sarah Penguin, who brought up Alexander the Great. Um, like, he was clearly really o- overpowered uh, back in the day. Like, he-, he won, like, all these battles and built a huge empire. And then at mm. like age thirty two, uh, he just mysteriously died, which was which is a detail I didn't really know. <laughs> um, yeah, and so and so Sarah and and some of the other users um, responding to to their comment just sort of were discussing like how suspicious his death was, and it seems like somebody may have like poisoned the the local lord, so to speak. Yeah, I I think my my headcanon for this is that he made some deal with some kind of like you know Barbatorum esque entity that gave him you know, great feats of, of strategy uh, and make it, made him kind of invulnerable, but, you know, like halved his life expectancy or whatever. Um, so he, he did a lot of great shit and then just kind of suddenly died. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Awesome Toast brings up the Great Emu War, which I didn't appreciate because <laughs> that's a very serious time in Australia's mm. history and we don't joke about it. A serious uh, topic for us that. over here. Um, yeah. No, uh, just kidding. Like, I, I like this idea that it's... um you know, a nature spirit or some indigenous practitioner or something that, uh, you know, was was fighting back against the European invasion. Should we should we explain what the Great Emu War is, Elliot, for our non-Australian listeners? Uh, I mean, I, I guess I just assume it's such an internet meme that most people might have heard about it. If, if not, like, <laughs> Google the Great Emu War. Uh, it's, I mean, it's not Australia's proudest It's moment. hilarious. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll give the short summary of it, which is basically that uh, in Australia's history, there was a time where we tried to cull the population of emus that are, you know, they're like an ostrich-esque uh, species over here. Um, and <laughs> a bunch of people went out to try and cull these emus and failed and <laughs> got defeated and had to give up. It wasn't just a bunch of people. It was our actual, like, military. So, yeah, it was our military. You're with right. Machine, <laughs> with machine guns and stuff. And they went out there and... and- lost to the emus and they lost to the emus <laughs> which is hilarious um no you're right i think i think it's a great idea that that this is some kind of like nature spirit or kind of indigenous practitioner that that is kind of fighting back against the encroaching upon of their land and and mm. uses the animals as as their weapon it, it's awesome it's a great it's a great idea um yeah uh juanson have we decided how to pronounce that yet anyway um, juanson juanson uh Brings up the Tunguska event, which was that big, like, meteor thing. And I was like, as yep. soon as I read that, I was like, oh, that's like Orneus, isn't it? And that's exactly, that's exactly <laughs> where they were going. Like, it, you know, somebody said Orneus seven times and you see a giant meteor land. Like, that's that's sort of how we, yeah. uh, you know, retcon the appearance of this celestial demon. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I, I think the great thing about it is it, it's all... All these weird missing holes that that don't quite make sense that I'm sure mm. we hopefully one day will find an explanation for. They're such the perfect playground for for theorizing about <laughs> a huge massive demon that came down and fucked shit up. Um, 
Yeah. I wanted to pull out one that I really liked about uh, the assassination of Franz Ferdinand, which, you know, kicked off uh, World War I. Um, and the story of this is the people that were set out, the people that set out to assassinate him basically fucked everything up so many times and would have failed in their mission to assassinate him if not for the place that one of them went to get like lunch or something his car happened to break down outside it. And Mm -hmm. so they managed to save it with this completely left field fluke. Um, So Brawl97 wrote this paragraph that I want to read out where uh, he says, I just imagine a group of Austrian secret service practitioners frantically using connection breaking magic and other shit to foul up the plan. An epic magic duel ensuing for the fate of the world hanging for the balance. Only for the one unawakened, unawakened guy who gave up for an early lunch to ruin everything, <laughs> which is just such a perfect narrative that I want. I want to see that play out. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, totally. I, I also like the idea of maybe like that was just a practitioner who had good karma or something. It's just like, <laughs> oh, cheers, universe. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. I, I, one of the last ones I want to pull out is from Kyrgyzstan, uh, who brings up an event I had never heard of, but is insane. Uh, which is the Great Molasses Flood of Boston, uh, which mm. is basically this giant container of like 10,000 cubic meters of molasses broke and killed like <laughs> killed over 20 people, which is just insane. Um, mm. And so anyway, Kyrgyzstan wrote this great little like short story type, or, like a few paragraphs kind of explaining the law behind how these practitioner groups were having a war and, and resulting in the, the molasses explosion. Um yeah, uh, it was a great, it was a great little read. It's definitely worth checking out, uh, especially because yeah. there's a link there to more details on the Great Molasses Flood, which is just an insane story. Yeah, I, I really liked this discussion question. We got so many great answers, and they're all they're all the exact kind of things I was hoping they would be. Just like yeah. weird yeah. historical quirks. Um, yeah, great, great stuff. And uh, if anyone has any other ones, definitely leave them in the. Uh, in the discussion thread for this episode, because I love I love reading about these. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd I'd love to keep hearing more. Like you know, there are a bunch that we we've just sort of had to skip over due to time. But like, uh, yeah, so so many great wacky historical things that could just be explained <laughs> with uh, practicing. Yeah, um, but unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this episode. Uh, that brings us to the end of six point twelve. But don't worry, we'll be back in you know three or four days to talk about. 6.x on monday the 27th Mm, but if you can't wait till then as we said you can hop in the discussion thread uh and and you know tell us all about what other wacky practicing stuff happened in in our world or uh tell us about the uh the declarative authoritative and socio-cultural implications of having post-it notes as your (laughs) uh implement i would love to read that um if you want to support the show or check out some of the other great shows that are on the Doof Media Network, you can head to doofmedia.com. Uh, just recently came out, uh, just recently released was uh, the f- uh, final episode about We've Got War... Man, let me just start that sentence again. <laughs> recently released was uh, We've Got Ward, the final part talking about Arc 6 uh, and talking about the start of Arc 7, which is by far the horniest chapter of Ward that has ever been. Wait, um, do you mean, do you so- mean 13 and 14? They're, they're not they're not that 13 far and 14 I, I got them mixed up with our episodes i think yeah <laughs> um uh but yeah so the the start of of chapter 14 is is so fun and uh i'm i'm i've been really enjoying hearing uh, scott and matt talking about it <sighs> i mean uh, i'm actually like five or six chapters behind in ward at the moment 
and Shame and that's and that's like three weeks behind and we've got ward which you know that's like yeah so i don't really have anything to comment i guess but uh i'm keen well, to catch up yeah you should catch up because it's going it's going very good uh and i'm very much enjoying that we've got what discussions about it at this point um yeah uh if you if you want to support the doof media network the best way to do that is by going to patreon.com slash doof media um we're a patreon backed network which means that um we kind of exist in the form that we exist in because of our listeners um specifically the listeners that decide to give us some money every month uh so there's a number of great perks that you can get if you back us on patreon um so go check it out yeah and of course the 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 doof media network isn't the only thing that relies on patreons to keep it afloat uh wildbo also relies on his patreons to keep him writing uh so head over to patreon.com slash wildbo to you know help ensure that we keep getting more and more uh awesome horny stories apparently (laughs) yes definitely uh the hornier the better so definitely head on over to (laughs) patreon.com slash wildbo and uh and throw him some some money every month um well, that's that's us for this for this uh, episode, I believe. Uh, yes, yeah, so we'll see everyone on Monday, the twenty seventh. See you then. 